Amen. You may be seated. What is going on, Asante Church? Wow, this is pretty special right here. I'm not even sure social distancing is possible. God is good. Keep us safe, Lord. The road to resurrection. It's been the path that we've been on over the past four or five weeks. And before we dive in to the resurrection today, I want to take us down the road that led to the cross. But before anything, I want to say welcome. Welcome to Asante Church. You have been prayed over this week. You have been prayed over this morning. You were prayed over, and this day was prayed over two years ago when we thought we were going to launch this church, and then a pandemic started. This is a special day. This is a day where we celebrate our risen King. And so if it is your first time here, welcome. This is the best place to be on a Sunday morning within a five-mile radius. (laughs) So welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you trusted us to be a part of your Sunday, especially a part of your Easter. And we would love if you would consider to make this a church home, a place that you can worship with friends and with family. And if you have been here since we opened, or if you've recently joined us, welcome back, church family. So excited to worship with you today. Today is a special day. It is Easter, and we are celebrating Jesus and his victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy so that we could have life. But we're going to worship in two different ways during this message today, and that is visually. This is my good friend Peter here. Peter's a member of our church, and Peter's an incredible artist, and so he is going to be working on a piece of art that will aid this sermon. And so this is the only Sunday I'm going to give you permission to be completely distracted, okay? You're going to be wondering, what is going on over here the whole service? And so that is absolutely okay. We're going to worship God through the scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead, open them up. We're in John 20, and that is actually John 20. I had three people check it this week. We were in John last week. For some reason, I wrote Matthew on everything. So, turn your Bibles on, open them up, however you got to get there. John 20 is where we're going to be today. But first, we start at the road so far. We see that Jesus is betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane by Judas. We see that he is overtaken and he hands himself over. He turns himself over to the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And he is taken before Pilate, who was the governor of Rome and over that area. Governor for Rome over that area. And Jesus is found not guilty by Pilate, but the Jewish leaders still want him executed because he is claiming to be the son of God. And so he is taken, Pilate takes Jesus, he beats him, he tortures him, and he is led to the cross. And if you joined us for our Good Friday online worship service, we see that Jesus takes the cross. He takes the cross as the perfect sacrifice. He takes the cross for our sin. He takes the cross for the people that put him on the cross and for his followers back then. So Jesus takes the cross, and he takes it as an innocent man. He takes it as the only sinless, perfect person to ever walk this earth. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sin that was foretold. And so today we rejoin the story, and we rejoin the story where we left off in our Good Friday service. Jesus has just died on the cross. He has been taken to the tomb which he borrowed from a rich man. They laid him in there, and we join the story at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. It had been rolled away. So she came to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter 
and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. First point this morning, if you're taking notes, you have your Connect card, we have a place for you to take notes there. I encourage you to do that. Take it with you. Look back on it. First point this morning, he is risen. The grave is empty. The tomb is empty. It was only borrowed. You cannot go there and see a place where Jesus is today. There is no tombstone. There is no place because Jesus has risen from the dead, victorious. And we see that in this passage, verses 1 through 7, that God is in the details of the resurrection. We see that because they wrote this not as a conspiracy to try to prove anything to the people of that time, but to take account as to what happened that morning when Mary, when John, when Peter went to the tomb and saw that Jesus had risen from the dead. We see that in the details. And the first thing is that a woman found it first. We see that Mary and a group of women, they found the empty tomb first. Now, if you were trying to prove something back in this time, it was a very chauvinistic culture. The last thing that you were going to say, this is no offense to any of my ladies in the room, I'm just saying what had happened back then, you would not say that a woman found it first because in this culture, they would think, oh, well, we can't believe them because they're overtaken by emotions. Again, this is not me. This is history. And I ain't trying to get in trouble with my wife after this. And I got two little girls I'm trying to raise them up strong, okay? A woman found it first. This is not a good sign of proof. We see that verses 1 and 2. The, fifth, or the second thing we see in verse 5 is that the grave was not robbed because these grave clothes, these linens that were in there were valuable. They would have been taken from the tomb. And we see that he wasn't taken by his disciples because Jesus' clothes are left. And if you are trying to prove that the person that you are being discipled by, the person that you are following is the risen Messiah, and you want to prove that he is risen from the grave, you're not going to go around telling everybody he's running around buck naked. Okay? That's not how it's going to go. You're not going to prove your case by taking this messianic figure and saying, hey, this is what happened. Jesus is risen, but we, he doesn't have clothes on. He's somewhere out there. Three things that prove that this is not a conspiracy, and it's found in the details. And we also see that God is in the details of the Scripture. It says that Jesus had to rise from the dead. If he didn't rise, he would be a sacrifice. Our sin would be forgiven, but there would be no victory over sin. There would be no victory over death. There would be no victory over the enemy. But when he rose, he rose from the dead, having taken care of sin, having taken care of the enemy, and having taken care of death. For the people then, for the people in this church right now, for the people that live in our community, for all of us. Jesus defeats death. Jesus defeats sin. 
Jesus defeats the enemy. What does that mean? It means that you are set free, free forever. Amen. That is us, free from sin, free from death, free from the enemy, no longer enslaved, no longer in chains to addiction, to the struggles in our lives, to the horrible circumstances that come about as we live life. We have been set free. Don't take those chains back up. Don't put those shackles back on. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are free. If you have not began a relationship with Jesus, freedom can be yours through that relationship. Don't miss out on Jesus. John 20, verses 11 through 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to go to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascended to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told, them that he had, she told him that he had said these things to her. Second point this morning is that Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us where we are. We see in verses 14 and 15 that Jesus finds us. Jesus knows that Mary is in the garden, and Jesus meets Mary there. She doesn't understand yet what is happening, but when it comes to us, I need you to know this morning that Jesus sees you right where you are, wherever it is that you are in life, whether you are right next to him or whether you've been wondering for some time whether you're just trying to figure things out, figure out what this whole Jesus guy is all about, figure out what this Christian faith is, or whether you've been walking in that for 40 years, Jesus finds us where we are. And when he finds us in verse 16, we see that he empathizes with us as she weeps, as Mary weeps, as she comes to Jesus. Jesus is gentle with her. He's not harsh. Mary, you don't recognize me? You've been with me for so many years. No. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is kind with Mary. And in her hurt, Jesus reveals himself. And how does he do that? By speaking one word, and that is her name, Mary. She is known. Jesus sees her, and he meets her. And then, not only does he see us, does he find us, not only does he empathize with us, he sends us with a message. And we see that in verse 17 in 18, Mary wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. She clung to him, emotional, overwhelmed. I saw you die on a cross, and here you are in the garden, and clearly you're not a gardener, because I've just figured that out, because you said my name, supernaturally. And she wants to sit at the feet of Jesus. But what does Jesus say? I want you to share this blessing. You see, not too far away, there was a house full of disciples and these people that followed Jesus that were absolutely terrified. And Jesus said, this peace 
that you have right now because I have found you, I've met you here, and I've empathized with you. I need you to go, and I need you to tell them. And so, church, I think we can be a lot like Mary. I think we can see Jesus, we can meet Jesus, we can gather together in worship and experience Jesus together in worship, but we want to stay at the feet of Jesus. And we don't ever want to take the message of Jesus out. We don't ever want to live that out in our lives. We don't ever want to especially open our mouths and try to communicate the gospel with somebody because that might be weird, that might be awkward, that might put you in an uncomfortable spot. But Jesus does not say, all right, Mary, you just stay here forever. Hey, let's enjoy this blessed time together and we'll just never leave here. But Jesus sends Mary with the message. Church, Jesus sends us with the message. Let us not get caught up and staying at his feet, but let us gather at his feet and then go. And then Jesus becomes a bridger for us. We see that in verse 17. He says, my God, my Father, your God, your Father, this is our God, this is our Father, because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Now this relationship between man and God is bridged by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so now, as believers, as followers of Jesus, men in this room, you are sons, you are sons of the King. Women in this room, you are daughters of the king. And you are loved by a perfect, holy God. And he says that you are his. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Third point this morning is that he sends us where he is moving. He sends us where he is moving. Take note of this. God's will, what Jesus calls you to do with your life, does not always make sense. In fact, the way I have experienced it, it never makes sense. But I think that's where where faith steps in. I think that's where belief steps in. Jesus shows up onto the scene in this house, in this room filled with disciples that just saw him crucified. And there are Jewish leaders outside looking for them, knowing that they were disciples of him that followed him for three years and knowing that they're going to take his teaching forward. But right now they are hiding in in their room. You know how they're hiding? They locked the door, hoping that the Jewish leaders would not get in. This is today's equivalent of 18 deadbolts in a ring doorbell system that can capture anything. And they are on high alert, like they have a high-value Amazon package they're waiting for. And they're ready to receive it by playing a good defense, making sure that these Jewish religious leaders do not find them. And Jesus says, hey, I'm here. And he shows up in the room. And think of how surprising that is. The doors are locked and all of a sudden, boom, here's Jesus. Whoa, man, you just died on a cross. Whoa, we just saw you crucified. And now you're here in this room. And not only are you in this room, but you are saying, peace be with you. And you're sending us out to reach the same people with the gospel and tell them and share with them the good news of you dying on the cross for their sins. That's the same people that killed you. You want us to go and tell the same people that killed you the message that they put you to death for? Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, I'm glad God's will makes sense. I'm glad we can always make perfect 
sense of it. They're still out there looking for him. You want us to reach them? Jesus says yes. But Jesus gives them a word of peace. And he says, peace be with you. What Jesus is saying in Hebrew is shalom. That is more than an absence of stress. That is more than an absence of anxiety. I think a lot of us, we get really introspective. We think I can never deal with the weight, the stress, the burden of what God has called me to. And he may be calling you to be sent to go somewhere that doesn't make any sense to you. You're called to be obedient. But he doesn't just say go. He says have peace. Know that Jesus is with you. Shalom. More than just the absence of stress, but the well, but well-being to the fullest extent. When Jesus says peace, he is giving you his peace. Know that you are going for Jesus. Know that his peace is going with you. Are you at a place with God where his will is just not making sense? I feel like we've been at that place for the past three years. About eight years ago, we took our first mission trip. As a, I was a student pastor back then. We went to the state we've never been to called Arizona, and it was really hot. We went to a town called Cottonwood. And for those of you who've gone through Starting Point, you've heard this story. And we fell in love with church planning. And then we continued on in ministry. In a few years in student ministry, I became a family pastor. And we saw our ministry grow. We saw God grow it. Things looked great. It was successful. People were coming to know Jesus. They were being discipled. And out of nowhere, it felt like God was calling us to step down from ministry. And it didn't make sense. But I knew that the best thing in the world is to be right in the middle of God's will. And the worst thing in the world is to be directly outside of it, but so close to it that it seems like you're right there. So we were obedient. I went into the workforce, went to work with some of my best friends in the world, some that joined us here to start this church. And we saw God move in the lives of our coworkers. And then I got a text message one day and it said, hey, I know you're in transition right now. What do you think about planning a church in Arizona? To which I responded, heck no. <laughs> That's a desert. Nobody should live there. I didn't realize that, like, you know, modern technology, they can bring water in from Colorado. It's really great now. I was scared. I felt unequipped in God's will in that moment to not make sense. And then we ended up here. We, we flew in on a plane. Well, that's what you fly in on, so of course. <laughs> I don't know what else, maybe a bus. <laughs> and we had a lot of different places we were going to check out that there were no church presence, or that there was a little church presence. And this wasn't even on the list. Asante Desert Oasis wasn't even on the list of places to look at. It was a sentence uttered as we walked out the door. It said, hey, they've been growing out there. They started building again after the housing uh, market crashed. Why don't you guys go check it out? And so we parked across where the, the library, the Asante Library is now, and we got out of the car and we started walking through the park. And I don't know if it was the grass and that being the only grass that we had seen in the state so far, but imme immediately we felt like this is home. God was saying, this is your community. This is where I want my church. This is where you'll plant it. This is where you'll plant your lives. And this is where my gospel will see the kingdom advance. It didn't make sense. We were coming to a state, we were leaving all of our friends, all of our family, all of our connections, all of our ministry network to plant a church in an area that we had never even been to, but God said to do it, so we did it. And God equipped us when we did it. 
I felt like we needed to build a team. I was thinking like the 1990 Chicago Bulls, right? Again, if you've been through starting point, you know that joke, but that's okay. I was going to be Michael Jordan, and I was looking for a good Dennis Rodman or a Scottie Pippen, and I found Dennis Rodman, and his name's Jacob. <laughs> Thank you. But God equipped us, and he put a team together. God doesn't just call us to do something, but he equips us. And so he sends us where he is moving, but he does not send us alone. One of my favorite pastors said, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. If God calls you out to dinner, he is going to take care of the check. If God calls you to do something, he is going to go with you. And in verse 22, we see that he does not send us alone. He sends us with the Holy Spirit. And so church, obedience to God's call. That, that is on us. We have a choice. We have free will. We get to make a decision. Do I obey God or do I stick to my own thing, my own agenda? Do I stay on my own throne or do I allow God to have it in my life? But outside of that, everything else is on, is on the Holy Spirit, inside of God's will and relying on the Spirit. There is peace. There is shalom. John 20, 24 through 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told Jesus, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples came into the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, still scared. They got peace, but those doors are still locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, knowing again that they needed this shalom. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my sides. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So our fourth point today is he provides proof. Jesus provides proof. And I want you to know this, and we see this in verse 27, is that Jesus can handle your doubts. I don't know where you are approaching Jesus from today, but if you are approaching Jesus with a thousand questions and zero answers, looking for proof of Jesus, Jesus can handle that. He is big enough for that. And he can answer that. He can take your doubt and he can turn it into faith. He can take that doubt, turn it into belief. He can take your questions and he can provide answers. Seeing Thomas's doubt, Jesus provided the proof. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we see that God is ready and willing to prove himself to the doubter. The evidence is there. We just have to look. I know there are logistical people. There are analytical people. There are emotional people that run off of their heart and their feelings and their gut. And I know that as analytical people, we can tend to have, well, I'm, I'm saying we like I'm one of them. I'm definitely not, but I know some. You need proof and you have doubts. But I would say when you seek Jesus and you seek him with all of your heart, and you actually put effort into it instead of just placing blame on your doubts and on your questions. And I don't think this lines up, or I think there's a problem with this. 
you actually seek that out with all of your heart, and you are looking for an answer in that, that Jesus will prove himself to you. The evidence is there. Historically, you can't argue it. Jesus has risen from the grave. He made himself known to around 500 people after he rose from the grave. It has been taken down. For my doubters in here, you gotta have, kind of have to ask yourself the question is, do I really want to find him? Because if you really want to find Jesus, then you have to ask yourself, well, what happens next? Is there a fear? Are you afraid of what might actually happen if you do find Jesus, of what might actually have to change in your life? You may not be the person in charge of your life anymore. You may have to give that spot up. And so I ask you this morning, is it doubt? If it's doubt, seek. When you seek, you will find answers. If it is fear, lay that down and do not let that keep you from an eternity with a God who loves you, from an eternity with a God who sent his son to die on the cross for your sin so that he could have a relationship with you. Do not be afraid of being called into something bigger, to having a life that has purpose, to being the husband and the father that you were meant to be, to my women in here, to being the mother that you were meant to be, to being the daughter that you were meant to be, to being the wife that you were meant to be, the co-worker God has called you to be the family member, the friend that God has called you to be, to love God and to love other people. You are being called into something bigger than yourself and into something new for you. Do not let doubt get in the way. Do not let fear get into the way. What is our need for Jesus? 2 Corinthians 4.17, we see that for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there is a cost. When we find the answer to doubt, when we put down our fear, when we follow Jesus, we see that there is a cost, but the reward far outweighs the cost. And Jesus wants us to believe. We see that in verse 29. He doesn't want our blind belief, and I would never tell you to believe blindly. Jesus gave you a brain for a reason. Use that brain and seek him out. But we need to discover him. We need to discover our need for him, and then we put our faith in him. What is our need for Jesus? That question has to be asked. We are sinful people in need of a Savior. When we look at the law, the same law that the Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders put Jesus to death, it was supposed to shed a light on their sin. It was supposed to lead them to Jesus. Instead, they missed the forest for the trees, and they put Jesus to death by it. Within that law is the Ten Commandments. Let's go over those. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? I know I have. So because of that, I'm a liar. Honor your father and mother. I know my mom's in preschool, but I know dad's back there. Sorry, I did not always honor you. I was not always obedient. How about you? Think of your childhood. Think of growing up. It also says, thou shalt not commit murder. And that means that you should not pre meditatively take someone's life. What we see in Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 is that if you are angry with a person that you have already murdered them in your heart and so now I've disobeyed my parents, now I'm a liar, now I'm a murderer because I've been angry with someone, I don't know. Maybe you've been angry with somebody. Maybe just driving down 60 and you get cut off by a golf cart. I don't know where you're at with that, but it happens a lot and I get angry about it a lot. That's why there's not a church bumper sticker on my car. 
It also says, thou shall not commit adultery, which means that you shall not have a relationship outside of your marriage, outside of the covenant that you have formed between you and your spouse and God, having union with him. Jesus takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes and you have committed adultery on your heart, my men, where are we with that? Have we committed adultery? So we see that all of these things show us our need for Jesus. Because of these things, we are sinful, we are broken, we are messed up people. And if we even have one sin, we've broken them all. So we needed someone to take our place. We needed atonement for our sins. And what Jesus does on the cross is he takes the place of God's wrath toward us. And he is the perfect sacrifice. And he pays our debt. What happens on the cross is our sin is transferred to Jesus and his righteousness is transferred to us. But that is only possible. That can only happen for us when we trust in Jesus and believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins. When we make him Lord of our lives, which means master, which means we follow him and we make him savior of our lives, asking him to forgive us of the sin that we have committed because we need a savior. And it is our savior that gave his life so that we could find it. And we see that in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And we will close out with this, is that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Fifth and final point this morning is that he wants us to have life. There are a lot of lives that you can live. You can live the retired life. You can live stay-at-home mom raising kids life. You can live the working husband life, come home to your family exhausted. You can live the school teacher life. There are a lot of things that you can live for, but we can only find true life in Jesus. We see that in verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. True life is only found in Jesus. And as a church, that is what we exist to show people. True life is only found in Jesus. What you are pursuing, if it is not Jesus, will ultimately end in a dead end. You'll come to the end of that road and you'll find yourself just as broken, just as empty as when you started. It will never fulfill. Jesus is the only thing that can fulfill your life. Let's lay it down. Let's give it over to him. Jesus gave his life so that we could live. He had victory over sin and over death, not just so that we could live, but baby, so that we could live free. Let's praise him. Let's bow our heads here in a second and worship him. But before we do, let's realize that our freedom, our forgiveness is in the cross and it is in the victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy in the empty tomb. technical difficulty. There we go. All right. Thank you, Peter. Mm. Let's pray. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, you are risen. Jesus, 
You have set us free. Thank you. Thank you that we have a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance in you, Jesus. Thank you that your work on the cross was for the forgiveness of our sin. And thank you that because of that, we can walk side by side in relationship with you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. I don't know where you're at with Jesus this morning. I don't know if you have ever asked him for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know if you have ever trusted in him to be your savior, to save you from the wrath of God that we deserve because of the sin in our life. But if you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you have not begun the greatest adventure of your life with him and started a relationship with him, and that is something that you feel like God is calling you to do today, on your Connect card this morning, there's a box that says, I would like to start a relationship with Jesus. I would like to follow Jesus. I'd like to encourage you to check that off. We wanna to talk to you about that. We wanna see what that looks like for you, see where you're coming from, meet with you over coffee and talk about the most crucial decision of your life, a decision that will set you free in this life and that you will be spending an eternity in the presence of God's love when you pass. God, you are good. Father, help us to see Jesus, not only that you meet us, not only that you call us, but that you send us and help us to live sent with the good news that we experience here this morning. Help us to remember that the tomb is not filled. We cannot go there and visit you, Jesus, but that it is empty. And because of that, we are victorious because you were victorious. We love you. And we thank you for that. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship our risen King together.